Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, guys. Popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. <laughs> because politics needed a rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. I think we're doing much better than last week. Right? Um... I am at least. <laughs> you know what? We've got we've got one for one. Wait, that doesn't even make any sense. One for two. <laughs> I mean, I know we know about it phrases, but like, yeah, yeah, that. Last George. week was an absolute shit show, but we're back. I had Maddie's alive. I thought it was a stomach flu, by the way. I'm almost positive it was food poisoning. Now I did recover in time to go to Coachella this weekend, where. I died, came back to life, died, came back to life, and died and came back to mm. life. Had a great time, though. And, yeah, I'm just – we're back and, and we're better. And I'm – as exhausting as Coachella is, it's really a nice escape from reality because, like, you couldn't be farther from reality at, at Coachella, you know? I have never been, but, like, I feel like the way you speak about it, it's, like, the holy grail. Like, you, it's, like, so funny because – especially as I was watching from afar, like the weekend prior when there was just so much influencer drama. Mm-hmm. Go- drama? Drama. 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 I have so many thoughts on the weekend one and just go ahead. But just as someone that's never been being like, okay, like I know that exists. Obviously I know there's multiple worlds within like any event like that. And then it's like, that just seems like just chaotic mess and whatever, chaotic energy in so many ways, but like not one that like seemed like a great time. Yeah. And then it's like, I know you go and you like have like the fucking best time. And I'm like, Obviously, I know you're doing it right because I know you know how to like throw it down. But I'm like, it's just like the influencer thing. I have so many thoughts because the Revolve Festival has been happening for a few years. I personally like as much as I'm like, wow, look at all those famous people there. Like over the years, I like never really understood why you'd want to go to that. Like Coachella alone is already so much like it's. It's so exhausting. Like, I don't understand how people have time to go to a festival before a festival and then also go to a festival after the festival, the Neon Carnival. Like, there's just so much happening. I'm like, none of that seems fun to me. And it's like, if you're going to Coachella, like, you got to do it for Coachella. You do it for the music. You do it for, yeah, the outfits are a very fun part of it. But it's like the music, your friends running around, sweating and, like, kind of being gross and, like, exhausted. There's a really just primal part of Coachella that makes it so fun 
And just like in weekend one, especially has always been like influencer celebrity weekend. But this year was so bad because it was like, I think this wave, new wave of influencers who are young and have never been before and like show up and like, I just feel like influencer culture lately is, is, is different. And it's, I think it really showed its face at Coachella last weekend. But weekend two is really all about people just like going for the music and the grass is brown at that point. It's just, you're there and you're just fucking, you're just having fun. But anyways, I, that was that. I, I, my voice is a little bit. The grass is brown. The grass is brown. The dust was. Is the grass ever green? The dust was so bad. Yeah, the, the grass is usually green weekend one and then it's like gets so trampled and it just gets ruined and then weekend two it's like brown grass and then the dust was so bad that's why i sound like a a full-blown male at this point so that's like other than just the the like dusty throat and nose i I feel great i usually am like not well after coachella but i'm actually feeling good so thank god especially after food poisoning last week so i think we're on the mend things are looking up as they say but how was how was your weekend? What did I do this weekend? Oh, oh, hmm. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's introduce our guests. And before we do, we will give a few little housekeeping housekeeping moments. One, if you're looking for an internship for the summer or the fall, go to girlonthegup.com/careers to learn about our internship. And email us. If you want to join our brand ambassador community of like-minded young women looking to have some more political impact, especially in this crucial election year, you can go to girlonthegup.com and learn about our brand ambassador program. There's no requirements. There's resume boosters, networking opportunities, and more. So go check it out. Our merch is live. So go check out our merch. That will also be linked in our episode description if you want to go buy some new merch. They're cute AF. And, oh, we forgot to say this last week, but if you guys are looking to get some new wine for your pantries, you can go to... Pantries? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Wine guard? Wine wine holder, wine cellar, if you're bougie like that. But go to the wink in our bio. I'm going to go get your wink wines. You can get four for $29.95. I feel like those are all of our housekeeping items. I have one more housekeeping. Oh, please, please. That is join our tennis club, Break the Love. Mm-hmm. We are, like we said, working on some events. It's going to be a little bit later in the year because yours truly is moving, oh, moving around. Oh, this is big news, you guys. Are we, are we announcing it? Well, are we ready to announce? I don't think we're going to. I feel like I'm gonna jinx it because there's like I'm getting ten million. I was I was gonna say I don't think you should. So many things. No. We'll just we'll just leave the Easter egg of like Samantha might be moving, and we'll just leave it there, and we'll keep you guys updated because it's been all over the place. So I feel like things could change (laughs) in the next twenty four hours, and you'd be like, actually, just kidding. So we'll just leave it. Sam's going through something regarding moving, and we'll keep you updated when it's concrete. Literally, the amount of whiplash I've given myself yeah, and so yeah. many people in the last 24 hours. Yeah, it's so a lot bad. of whiplash happening. But a lot of people are going to ask me to pay for their therapy. Potentially really exciting stuff. So, but yeah. this guest, this episode, this interview is super exciting, especially in light of Earth Day, which we just celebrated on Friday. So, 
We have a little Earth Day moment, a little climate moment. So do you want to introduce our guest? I do. Our guest is Klasia Patel. She is the Director of Programs at Oceanic Global. So you guys may have seen some breadcrumbs on our IG about this interview because let us tell you, this is part one of part two, which we will be taking on later in the year. This conversation, I think this might be one of my favorite conversations. It was so fun. I literally, if we didn't have a time limit. Oh my God. I don't think any of us would have ever gotten off. I was about to say gotten off the phone, gotten off the recording. Yeah, let me check how long this interview is. It's 54 minute long interview. So sweet Jesus. So that's a long one because obviously our intro and top stories also have to be in this episode. So you guys, well, you're welcome. You got to hear us speak for over an hour. Here we go. Let's get into it. All right. Well, we will get the show on the road in that case. So without further ado, here's Cassia. So you are the director of programs at Oceanic Global. Now, personally, I've heard of Oceanic Global since like, it feels like Time Memorial is kind of one of those organizations that always pops into my head when I think about climate change and changing sort of what's going on on that front. But for those that don't know, that have not heard about Oceanic Global, can you give us the four-on-one on what you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. And and thanks both so much for having me. So my name is Cassia and I'm the director of programs at Oceanic Global. We are an ocean conservation focused nonprofit. So we're actually based in New York City and we do work really globally. And our focus is to drive scalable behavior change at multiple levels. So honing in on individual action. What can we drive in our own lifestyle? How can we be engaging community and collective action and driving behavior change in that way? We do have a pubs program with volunteer chapters in New York, in LA, London, Barcelona, and growing rapidly around the world to really empower people to step up as local leaders in their communities and to identify what what they feel needs addressing, um, whether that's youth empowerment and education, um, addressing and supporting policy reform efforts, which I'm sure we'll talk more about on on this session here today, and also engaging businesses. So that's our, our second pillar of action is working at the industry level, engaging businesses in changing their behavior to drive more scalable change and to drive greater impact in that way as well, because the the choices that a business makes cascade in so many different directions and really magnifies and amplifies that that action as well and then to tie that all together policy as you all are familiar really drives action at all levels and so it enforces and plays between those other two levels there too and the other piece just to mention is that in working with businesses too, businesses are made out of people. And so we recognize that by changing parts and minds of individuals, if they are decision makers within a company, they can themselves also have their own ripple effect with their community, which could be really um, impactful there too. So that's That's fundamentally our our focus and a lot of what we do as well is on awareness and education uh, building. Yeah, I love that. And can you kind of, is there a founding story that we can hear? Like how really did Oceanic Global get, get its start? Yeah, the founding story is a very fun one. So actually started <laughs> with an ocean optimism festival in Ibiza. So bringing together artists, musicians who performed and, and presented and for free in many cases, and then also weaving in educational content. So having renowned thought leaders and speakers 
speaking on a stage and with leading workshops and panel discussions, as well as having an eco marketplace, activities for kids, interactive exhibits, um, alongside Cirque du Soleil performers and actors and DJs and sculptures I'm that obsessed. were created from yeah plastic <laughs> collected around the island um, the year leading up, working with schools. And that event actually led to the, the announcement of a ban on single-use plastics island-wide, which at this point wow. should go into effect next year. But but that was the that was the origins of, of the organization. Um, Where is my invite? Yeah. And <laughs> when's the next one? Because I will absolutely be there. I've been wanting to go to yeah. Visa, so. I mean, wow, that sounds a so lot fun. better than the trip that I went, which was like totally off season. Like literally, like I did not know <laughs> that like when they mean off season, they mean really like nothing is happening. No one's there. And I was so like, seasonal. Studying yeah. abroad. And one of my friends and I were like, I think there were like probably like 30 euro like Ryanair flights. Granted, that's like dating myself because Ryanair was like still in existence and whatnot. And we're like, yeah, 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 let's go. It's going to be great. And we literally went. One hotel in the entire island was open. Like literally nothing was open. It was freezing. We're like, okay, we did this so wrong. So clearly we need to to go back. So there needs to be, yeah, Maddie and I are coming. Festival, let's have it. Let's make it happen. Festival and, you know, action, Mm -hmm. little action items. Like, those are my two favorite things. So absolutely. Is there, wait, is there going to be more or is that just like a one and done situation? Well, for, for Ibiza itself, this has started a cascade effect of, of action on the island. There's now a lot more waste management infrastructure, more education awareness, especially from the hospitality, tourism, nightlife sector who, mm-hmm. who wants to be a part of this, particularly tackling single-use plastics and improving waste, which has been our focus. But events-wise, we have now, that, that has been a core pillar of what we continue to do. So working with musicians and artists on more interactive experiential moments to bring people in to have fun and teach a message at the same time. A lot of this has gone virtual over the past few years. But one example that I can share from our team is called Dance for the Ocean. And so we did this two years ago, I believe it was 2020, you know, right as the pandemic is ramping up, but having DJs perform virtually and and doing these live sets virtually and and sharing intermittently different messages. That time we were creating guidelines for businesses to reopen in a plastic free way post COVID and to highlight that that was one of our campaigns that we did with a coalition of partners to reopen with reuse and to really highlight the ways that we can be safe and sustainable. So that was an interesting project. And now we work actually annually with the United Nations to host their World Oceans Day event. And so we will be back in the UN headquarters in New York this year. It's going to be a hybrid event. Um, and we have been hosting a concert for the ocean as a part of that. And so looking to do that in a, in a more in-person way might be more of a reception this year, but ramping back up to be able to engage people through through music and action, as, as you mentioned yeah. um, as well. Oh my God. Fun yeah. plus action and learning. That's our bread and butter. So yes. <laughs> happy to be ambassadors for whatever is next for you guys, but. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Beautiful. Looking at your own journey and getting here, Can you give us some of that story? How did you get involved not only with like Oceanic Global, but this type of mission? Yeah, well, to what we're talking about here, I think this is actually a great tone highlighting how it does have to be fun. It has to Mm -hmm. be engaging. If we want to engage new audiences and bring people into this movement, whether it's policy and and legislative action in other spheres or ocean action in this case, um, it has to be in in a way that people can understand and relate to it. So my background is in science and engineering. I studied biology and environmental engineering. Um, 
as well as environmental studies. So I really heard a lot of the doom and gloom, both in my classroom, as well as as well as externally. And I think many, many of us also can relate to the concept of eco grief, eco anxiety, and it can feel very overwhelming. So I definitely mm-hmm. went through through that phase of feeling disempowered and overwhelmed. And then engineering was was really powerful, because the entire focus is how do we work together to build solutions. And so I loved that framework and was really inspired through that. And yet still, being within the sphere of academia, I felt very disconnected from taking actual action. I felt like we know what the problem is. We know what the solutions are. Why do we still have these problems? Why are we not doing more? So felt like a bridge needed to be built between between the science and the policy and industry action and communities and general public to to raise awareness. So I saw Oceanic Global doing that in such a graceful, fun, engaging way. And that really that really drew me in. I love that. And what do you guys have like on the docket for this year or beyond? Like what can people kind of look forward to and maybe even get involved in with you guys? Yeah, well, what actually going off the the focus of, of of engaging activities, I'll just start with this one for folks who are in New York City. We're partnering with the House of Yes on their Earth Love Fest oh my event, God. Um, Sign which me will up. be Sign yes, me up. Okay, <laughs> you are gonna love it. <laughs> Yeah. So that's going to be, you know, DJ performances, dancing, eco marketplace, speakers, workshops, kind of everything that I was highlighting with the, the Ibiza event, but right Obsessed. here in, in book in Bushwick. So there you go. And so that's happening Saturday, April 23rd. And then Writing the United Nations World- right now. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And the United Nations World Oceans Day event will be taking place here in New York as well, but also virtually. So since we've, we've been really seeing that success with virtual streaming anywhere yeah. in the world people can tune in and, and check that out and there's always so much ongoing that week surrounding so global events as people are activating to, to bring world oceans day in ways that make sense to their community or, or activation and um, that's really from an event side of things one of our larger programs i mentioned we work with businesses and actually helping businesses change their practices mm-hmm. that program is called the blue standard and so that's bluestandard.com for anyone who wants to check that out and we revamped and relaunched this program in October of last year. And through that, it's both providing industry solutions. So actually offering sustainability consulting to businesses, hotels, restaurants, office spaces, events, the music industry, as well as sports and uh, sports businesses as well, either events or venues, as well as a sustainability verification system. So we can give businesses one, two or three stars for, depending on what they've achieved within their business. And with that, we do start by tackling plastic and waste. And so eliminating single-use plastic, optimizing waste management. And then we also have what we call our blue actions to go beyond that. So to think about food sourcing, especially seafood, given that we're an ocean conservation group, and then also looking at non-toxic cleaning products and other aspects of procurement and operations primarily. So with office spaces in particular, once you've designed and built this building, let's say, it's LEED certified or well certified or meets one of these other green building rating standards for energy efficiency, water, wastewater. Once you've spent that much time to build a healthy building, it's just as important to make sure you're bringing healthy things into that building and being, you know, prioritizing health for ourselves and communities also prioritizes the health of our planet. And so that's one thing that we really do focus on there. We, as a part of that, launched a a piece of that program targeted towards the consumer goods industry. So actually looking at recognizing plastic-free products and packaging to to tackle 
a massive portion of where our plastic pollution is really coming from, 40% coming from a packaging. So I love that, especially yeah, as I'm sitting here with my little boxed water, which granted, <laughs> I don't know how much else is like integrated in this, but at least some of it's paper. <laughs> yeah. Should look into that. Yeah. It- <laughs> It is better. The challenge with those are just making sure that is recyclable in New York City. It's not recyclable everywhere. So that's some of the only the only issue with that one. Okay, that is but. very good to know. I also that just is. like not to go down a rabbit hole, but to obviously go down a rabbit hole. There's some rabbit holes I would love to go down yeah. on this whole topic. Like, okay, so Listen. I don't know if this Maddie, I'm curious, this happens in SF too, but like we have this issue. This is at my old job. This is in my current building, my old building that I lived in. Like there's all these different things set up for like recycling, whether it's paper recycling, glass, all of that. But then like when they actually take the trash out, they yeah. like just throw it they all don't. together and they don't actually yeah. recycle yeah. it. Oh and it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you can continue to like do the right thing. And then no matter what, it still just gets thrown in one pile. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what was the point? Well, it just like also feeds into just it. this frustration I have in general with it really any issue is the way that a lot of this, these solutions like fall on an individual when like the systemic issues yeah. are still very much there and like that. And then like as an individual, you have this pressure to like do these certain things, but like the systems are not in place to actually, you know, make that come to fruition. And Sam, I literally had that same epiphany like last year at my old apartment building and I was so mad. I was like, I'm going to the management company right now. I'm like, they're just throwing this trash together. Like, is that even legal? I was like, no. And there's so many <laughs> counties and cities or whatever. That's why it's important to pay attention to local politics that just don't, they don't actually, you know, sort these, the trash. They don't actually like have a real recycling structure in place and they make it, you feel like you're recycling and then it just all goes to the same place. It's pretty insane. Totally. I will give a shout yeah. out to like my parents live in Massachusetts and they granted like not in a city right so like different setup like more rural area and you actually have to take your trash you're recycling everything to a dump and sort it Mm, there and you have to individually like yourself be like okay and you pay to throw stuff out so like I don't Mm. I'm gonna make up a rate okay like we're being like a dollar to throw (laughs) out your trash like whatever it is so it's like okay the more trash you have like the more you're paying. So you have to like think about, okay, well, what am I buying? How much am I throwing out? Because it is going to cost you. So I think that's kind of like an interesting mechanism. Yeah. But also because you are individually doing it yourself, if you're actually taking that responsibility to do it and do it correctly, like you know it's actually happening because you literally have to go to different sections of this glorious yeah. dump. Be like, okay, recycling over here, trash over here. And like, granted, I don't know what happens to it after that in this particular setting, but like there's at least a little bit more of like, okay, here's the action. I see the result and that organizational yeah. element of it. And I, you know, I mean, granted, I don't know where in New York City I'd be taking my damn trash recycling. I don't know what journey that would have. Well, isn't me it like but... controlled by the mob or something in New York? So much, um... so much to respond to. <laughs> we also, I was in my, where my sister, my sister just moved. Santa Cruz County and they actually though like she when she moved in she had all this crazy like cardboard styrofoam and she put it all in a recycle bin and when the trash guys came like they literally didn't take her trash because there's all the styrofoam so she had to like do something mm. I think she had to take yeah. that to the dump maybe or something but they actually like sorted through her trash and made sure like everything was in the right places and so I think they have a good system That's in good. place but yeah some places just don't even look or notice or care <laughs> Yeah, it is. 
Yeah. Yeah, so much to <laughs> respond to. <laughs> Our waste management infrastructure and system is is definitely flawed in the ways that you, that you all have mentioned. Quick note for New York City that we do for residential and, and municipal recycling. We do have the Sims Recycling Center, which you can visit, and they've got a beautiful educational center. So it is quite state of the art the the equipment that they have there. That's why I was saying I know you your box water can, content. <laughs> can be recycled there. Yeah. So definitely, definitely check that out. They, you know, they're open for you know free free visits and walkthroughs if you want to get right up close and personal. But okay. it's not designed um, for you to like. Yeah, I know everybody. you're gonna check that out <laughs> for any of our Photo other like New Yorkers. At the recycling plant. Okay, oh, yeah. like, honestly, I see it. I feel like industrial get your outfits in order. Oh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait. I have the outfit. I absolutely have the outfit. Okay, we're going. We're going. Next I'm time you're here, Maddie. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's a work field trip. But yeah, yeah. So but it's not the place where you can like bring your stuff to, to sort. And that's interesting. You mentioned that too. And just going back to to what you were saying, Maddie, about bringing taking the onus off the individual and back on to systemic infrastructure, which is mm-hmm. where, truthfully where it should be and right. where there's a lot of conversation around how do we simplify and streamline these processes? So could there just be one bin? And some places have this where you put trash and recycling, it's it's called single stream. And then the facility itself actually sorts out the trash and, and the recyclables. And even where in areas, as, as you're mentioning, where there are two bins and where it is, it is, it is a legal requirement for a company as build a businesses to be recycling. But of course, we're seeing that they're both getting dumped into the same truck. Wait, so is that like a federal stage. thing they put on to companies and corporations to have the separate bins? And then what? like local locally it's they just not like federal take okay how how does that work if that how it's like illegal for them to not have the separate bins sorry. it's it's not federal so sorry it's it's required it's legally required here in new york um that oh, okay. i should be referencing for different places everywhere has their own requirements yeah. but just speaking to new york city where just where, where sam was mentioning that that experience yeah. but it really does depend so to your question there maddie it's not federally run and and ideally it would be so there could be more standardization but this is also where it gets confusing so some areas have single stream some areas have multiple streams and what i was just explaining there is that if we do have just one bin where trash and recycling and even ideally ideally even composting but that does need to be separately managed and and taken care of ideally there's one bin and it can be all compostables and then you have reusables in place and i know there's some venues that are trying to model and put that put that into effect it's difficult to achieve that right now but it's good to have to have a goal in mind but but the infrastructure then to sort through the trash and recycling is just a bit more expensive so it does require that it does require that investment the cost comes at different places because it's cheaper to collect. You're just collecting one thing together. You don't have to have sorting at every stage, um, but it's more expensive to have that that infrastructure. And even where it's being separated, you still need to have the infrastructure for some sorting, or you won't get you won't get that material separated. And the thing to remember, just macro, as we think about recycling. And actually, we did just publish some recycling guidelines, which break which will break this down and walk through the journey in more detail. It's at that bluestandard.com website under the programs tab. Um, you'll see a, a recycling guide, which is free, freely accessible. And it's important to just remember that recycling is a business. So these companies have to be able to sell that material. Aluminum and cardboard are the highest value materials. They're most likely to get recycled. So instead of box water, we're seeing a lot of aluminum canned water in the U.S. There's really good mm. recycling and collection rates because we do have um, bottle deposit systems in nine states, I believe. And 
there is a movement to make that a federal federal program as well. It's it's not yet, but but if that were the case everywhere, then that incentivizes recycling and collection. And and companies see this too. They are incentivized themselves to reduce how much trash they're producing because they have to pay for trash collection and they get rebates for the recyclables that have value, primarily that aluminum and, and uh, cardboard. And this has been shifting. I know that there, there's a movement to, to create that value also for plastic and to instill that value in plastic. It just inherently has less value as a material. It degrades with every life cycle. It cannot be infinitely recycled. It sheds microfibers into our water and ground and produce, beer, salt, you name it. You know, we're finding plastic in the air. But but there there is a movement to, to just fix that mis, misaligned value system because ultimately that is the baseline for recycling. So we should be incentivized to solve this if, if we had that aligned. And I think that's also where policy comes in for sure. Totally. Yeah. And I, I just saw an article too about how like they're starting to find microplastics in people's blood. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like in like, I, know. I don't know, it was like probably 80% of people that they studied or something. I forget. We'd have to look it up, but and in wild. babies and, and babies. oh gosh yeah Ugh. yeah absolutely wild <laughs> well shocking. again we, we've already gone down one rabbit hole and let's we'll continue and i'm sure it'll be a hundred <laughs> more we go down but let's get into our i have a stupid That's question great. segment and really kind of get down to these these basics that we kind of already mentioned here but for some definitions what is single-use plastic what qualifies yeah, so great question. And I think it's important when we talk about tackling plastic pollution, there are so many different applications for plastic, especially we're, we're seeing that right now as, as we are in the midst of, of this COVID pandemic, there's plastic needed for medical applications. And that is not to be clear what nonprofits and advocacy groups are campaigning against is um, other forms of single-use plastics. Although just thinking about that term itself, single-use plastic, used once and then thrown away. More broadly, thinking about disposable plastic, so plastic that's not really, that's not designed to be reusable. Even if you could argue yeah. that it may have five or seven uses, it's really not designed to, to last forever, like cutlery when you get your takeaway. Those little quart containers also that that often come with with takeaway food that, that can be reused and can be reused in the back of restaurants, but are not really durable and thick and designed to last for for longer periods of time. There's currently a debate around how to define reusable. Some people would like to see reusable defined as used for a thousand times. Um, the EPA defines it based on a lifespan. So being used for over two years, over three years, there's different ways to define that. So that in itself, I know there's so many rabbit hole opportunities mm -hmm. here, but I'll try to, I'll try to keep us going. But this concept of just disposable, so take, use and dispose and this linear model. And so many people may be familiar with the concept of a circular economy. Instead of having a linear, uh, linear production and consumption cycle, thinking about how do we maybe have some, you know, some recycling and reuse that that still spits us back out in the same direction. How do we actually turn that into being a fully a closed mm. loop so that the same materials we're using in once at, at one point of the cycle can be repurposed and continue to be reused in different ways. The way that nature works and the way yeah. that we truthfully work, if we think about it, mm -hmm. and if we zoom out, this is happening at a much larger time frame. But as humans, our, our time frame is so much smaller. So right. thinking about how do we enact those those loops and systems in a way that we can actually wrap our minds around and are, are, are relevant in that scale. So that's yeah. super helpful, especially because I think I thought of like single use plastics, like as ones that like weren't recyclable more than, okay, like they're not really durable to be used more than once. 
Mm. So I feel like that's a really good clarification because mm-hmm. I was clearly wrong. So that's good to know. <laughs> but something that we were talking about a little bit before is also microplastics. What exactly mm-hmm. are they? And I'm literally cringing, like internally Scared. dying, thinking of like what we were talking about <laughs> for because I'm such a wimp. But can you define that for us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so microplastics are small fragments, tiny pieces of, of plastic. And there's microplastics, there's nanoplastics. The size really depends on the, the diameter, the size of, of the particle itself. But the, the moral of the story is that there are these small fragments of plastic um, because plastic does break down, I'm putting this in quotations, break down into smaller pieces of itself, which are then not fully digested into the ecosystem. So they still exist as their own as their own particles, in many cases also collecting other harmful chemicals as they travel through water um, and through our systems. In the ocean, perhaps just using that as an example, plastic pollution in the ocean, let's think of like plastic water bottles, flip-flops, fishing gear, debris, you name it, as that's exposed to UV radiation from the sun, to salt and and water and Mm -hmm. wind and wave action, that does break up into these smaller pieces of plastic that then travel through the water column. Most of that sinks, 90% of that will sink, um, within five months, and it it adsorbs or collects these toxic chemicals that were otherwise dumping at a large a large quantity into the ocean. And then as that gets, then it's so small that gets eaten by by even even plankton at the base of the food chain, but eaten by a fish. Let's say a turtle. With, we're familiar with the straw and a turtle's nose. That plastic can then accumulate up the food chain because it's not digested within yeah. the animals. So so that's. That's what's called bioaccumulation. Um, also familiar with that concept from DDT and, and Rachel Carson's story there too. So what's not getting digested is accumulating up the food chain. And this can ultimately starve fish. This can starve animals that are, their bellies are technically full, but they're not being nourished. Mm. That's the animal and ecosystem impact side of that. But then that does impact us as we're eating those fish, as we're drinking this water, as, as it's connected into the air and the systems um, that we are a part of. And a lot of those microplastics continue to get recirculated through our water system. So thinking about a city's water system, we don't currently have systems designed to treat that plastic. So there are bacteria that digest plastic, which is hopeful. We may have seen um, some recent news too. They're, they're, they are continuing to discover bacteria that are naturally evolving and adapting to eat plastic because nature is resilient, beautiful, creative, constantly evolving. Like this, this is true. And we know this, and yet we're just stressing her out a little too much in too many ways. And that's the problem. But we, if we did integrate those bacteria into a digester tank as a part of all of our wastewater treatment so that all water coming through cities, you know, it's, it's in the microbeads that we that were in toothpaste and shampoo and facial products. A lot of that is getting phased out, but it still exists and still is there. It's not all banned yet, uh, as well as in laundry machines, the synthetic fibers that are coming off of our clothing. So much of our clothing these days is at least blended with synthetic fibers and materials. And there are a lack of alternatives for active wear, you know, certain fitness. It's, it is slowly changing. There's some innovation going, but recycled plastic, recycled synthetic clothing is actually more likely to shed. So we do need to find ways to, to be able to treat that as that affluent is being treated because oftentimes that same water system and body is being circulated into our drinking water. And likewise, we don't have those treatment facilities upstream to treat our drinking water. I hope that wasn't overly complicated, but just the the essence being that plastic is getting there in so many ways. We're not yeah. treating it and it's 
we, you know, we're continuing to cycle it through our bodies yeah, and through our watersheds. I feel really yeah, badly for plankton. That's I know. Well, it's in it's us too. So it's confused. in everything now, and it's just like crazy. <laughs> especially the article that just we just talked about how it's like in yeah. people's blood now. It's really just infiltrated. But I love the (laughs) the concept of like treating the water sources. Oh my God, the water sources, Jesus Christ. I was like, ooh, pulling that out of my mouth. (laughs) Well, you know, it's a part of it. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that's super smart and like thinking about like how we can use like nature that's already existing to fix something and thinking about like, okay, there are bacteria that are adapting. How do we actually put that into use and as one of the many solutions that needs to happen? Mm -hmm. But speaking of water, Okay, what we're, we're all talking about, let's think about overfishing. A little little term you've heard from, you know, time immemorial. What is Seaspiracy? <laughs> Guys, I still never watched it. I really would love your take on Seaspiracy too, and especially maybe it's a way to implement it into this overfishing conversation, but I don't know. Well, I definitely recommend that, Sam, you, you still take the time all to right, go I'll to go it. watch it and check <laughs> it out. I know we did came out around this time last year, no? And and so I know as it as it did come out too, we we've got um, some official responses there on, on I believe, Instagram and social media for, for greater context for folks who do want to go and check it out because we listed a bunch of other resources that dive deeper into the topics that Seaspiracy does bring up. In general, it, it was really effective at starting a, a conversation in, in a really right. like mass media zeitgeist kind of way, like, oh my God, what is overfishing? What are we doing to the yeah. ocean? And this is an issue we often see with the ocean is that the ocean is just forgotten in conversations about climate, climate change, change, about plastic pollution, about ecosystem degradation, about environmental issues in general, and mm-hmm. honestly, in, in everything, because the ocean is so central to, you know, the beating heart of our life force and just how this planet works. It's mostly the surface is mostly covered in ocean, mm-hmm. um, 70%. And half of our oxygen comes from the ocean. So there are so many reasons to remember that we're reliant on the ocean. And it is invisible because not everyone has the, the privilege, the opportunity, the access to interact yeah. with the ocean. And that so is true. that is very real. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think because of that as well, we're more familiar with issues around animal agriculture mm-hmm. than we are around overfishing. And so Seaspiracy did a great job at kind of blowing all that open, totally. starting a conversation so about it. It wasn't the first film on this, but it was the most widely widely received perhaps, or certainly yeah. in, in this in this generation. So we do list some other resources, other films to check out. End of the Line is one that came out, I believe, in 2010 that really talked a lot about that overfishing issue in particular. The Cove is one that was actually Oscar nominated or award winning that talks about specifically the, the fishing of dolphins. And and so there there are other films and pieces of and resources that dive more deeply into these topics. But yes, moral of the story is that we are overfishing as our demand and appetite and desire for seafood is growing. It's outstripping how the ocean can naturally restore itself. And in addition, I think here's the piece that's important. In addition to the other stresses we are putting placing on the ocean, the ocean is having is struggling to just regenerate itself with the pollution, with the plastic we just talked about, with the other forms of toxic pollution, with climate change, which we haven't spoken too much about, but that is also threatening our plankton to form their shells. And as the plankton are threatened, that's destabilizing the rest of the food chain the ocean is warming. There's other impacts of ocean acidification. So it's all of this that's impacting that's impacting our food chain. Mm-hmm. And another piece to note, just as we're talking about seafood and overfishing, there are many communities that do rely on seafood and do subsist off yeah. of seafood. And so it's important to keep that in mind and to not to recognize the movement is not villainizing that way of life and way yeah. of being. And there are so many ways that that people who 
rely on local communities that subsist off the ocean, know how to responsibly manage those resources and have so much to teach the rest of the world about responsible resource management as well, especially when that knowledge can be passed down in an intergenerational way to really hold the memory of what healthy looks like and how do we keep that safe and protect that. So different threads of the conversation. My general philosophy and recommendation is that it is to focus on sourcing local food. And if you don't happen to be on the ocean to just question how large your seafood intake should be in that Mm -hmm. case. And and to really, again, support local supply chains, support your local farmers, your local fishers, if that's the case, and and to reduce seafood consumption holistically. And there are ways to support sustainable seafood, eating lower on the food chain, eating kelp, you know, eating oysters and mussels and clams that do filter the water and that are a part of many support ocean, regenerative ocean agriculture initiatives too. So That was another deep dive there. We are coming out with seafood guidelines uh, shortly as well. I have a question with that in mind. I know that like if I go to the market, there's like normal, like or what I would think like normally like fish seafood and then there's like farm fished. What is Mm -hmm. the, I mean, I can like kind of guess what the difference is, but like, is that even, is that sustainable or is that actually like not a good thing? Is there anything on that? Great question. So farmed fish is aquaculture or mariculture as it might be. Aquaculture is essentially, it is farming in the ocean. And so the same issues we're seeing on land are now translating to the ocean. So there are the same sources of pollution. Basically, poop is a is pollution, just like to summarize that. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of nutrients. Also, especially if there's, you know, antibiotics or other chemicals that are mm-hmm. being used, steroids, you know, all these things. That's if we're talking about having aquaculture in freshwater or saltwater ecosystems, there's no barrier, right? That's just going straight out to the ecosystem. So whatever is happening, that's getting distributed. And with those farms being such a concentrated source for those nutrients and or toxins and pollutants, that's creating negative impact on the surrounding um, ecosystem. And just to to clarify that the harm with excess nutrients is that can cause harmful algae blooms. And so algae that survive and thrive off of those nutrients will explode and create this larger bloom that sucks oxygen out of the water and blocks sunlight and can in many cases kill create dead zones for for any other life that was in the region and so we're seeing that happen in a big way in 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 the gulf of mexico where the mississippi pours out where so many farms are kind of draining in their their nutrients and effluents it's actually visible from the satellite imagery to see that yeah, it's kind of spooky. Well, let's let's talk about dead zones because that's one of our questions for you. It's a okay. perfect segue. What is an ocean great. dead zone? Perfect. So, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, so an ocean dead zone is is caused in that way that I mentioned around in those those harmful algae blooms where oxygen is being is being drained. Essentially, life is is being suffocated. So they can be anoxic, which means just reduced oxygen levels where life is still persisting, or it can be completely where where the oxygen is completely gone. In which case, it, it truly is it truly is a dead zone. What what you might imagine, where where you're not seeing other plant life, you're not seeing fish, you're not seeing the ecosystem surviving in a healthy way because it's being completely suffocated. And algae blooms in other ways and and seasonal ways are naturally occurring. So this is a naturally occurring phenomenon. It's just that the way that it's happening in this case is not from a natural upwelling of nutrients that comes every spring as as the temperature is changing. This is, you know, of of course, more anthropogenic and human caused and consistently in one place throughout the year. So it just has that additional additional stressor and and lack of of movability. So yeah, and and just because it's a dead zone now doesn't mean it has to be forever. Again, the ocean 
can revitalize and, and bring itself back. So if those stresses are alleviated, there are many cases where we have seen the ocean come back. Actually, there's a lot of movement bringing this back to policy. There is a lot of movement. Hawaii is a good example for this to regulate sewage effluent. In many cases, raw sewage goes going straight out into the ocean. Yeah. This actually happens in New York City as well. We have a combined Yuck. sewage overflow. <laughs> <laughs> so don't shower when it rains is the biggest takeaway. But basically, really? yes. <laughs> oh my god, we. I'm scared. <laughs> Tell us. Oh my god. <laughs> oh no. A lot of cities are built off of this. I just know for sure New York is like this. Definitely other cities throughout the U.S. and Europe are like this as well. But the same pipes that gather stormwater and and runoff just from the streets, you know, where where you see gutters on the side of the street, and our actual sewage um, pipes can con- connect and combine. So when they overflow, they're not getting treated. So that <laughs> is why we don't swim in the Hudson right now. <laughs> I can't even imagine. There's I still literally, bodies in the Hudson. especially oh, a thousand percent. Back to the mob conversation. <laughs> Let's just <laughs> woo, circle back oh right my God. there. But like literally, like just. Love New York, but we got some gross things going on constantly. I'm looking at mm. the rats, I'm looking at the cockroaches, it's, and I'm it's looking charming. at the dead pigeon that I walked <laughs> by true. coming back from coffee. I'm imagining him getting swept up into this rain situation, and then there's dead pigeon, and I'm showering in the dead pigeon. Oh my god, this is gonna be a spiral. wait. That's wild. I've never heard well, that. Don't no, shower the shower, the shower water itself is clean. Just to clarify okay. for everyone's okay. like mental state of, of well being, <laughs> the shower water is is. I mean, in in these cities, typically, you know, it's it's actually safe enough to drink. Depending on your building, check your building and what the pipes are made out of and all that kind of stuff. But but the it's just that when you shower, you're putting that water down the drain as well. So you're adding more volume to the system at a time when it's already overloaded because it's raining. So just okay. If you if you don't shower, you're protecting the river and the ocean more oh, so. Okay. Than... So it's not like it's coming on to us. No, no, no. That's <gasps> separate. Yeah. I was like, I know, I thought I, I felt like I needed to clarify. <laughs> yeah, well, I literally thought that we were just like showering in street water. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's just down downstream. And I'm gonna get though one of those place. little shower head filtration things. Have you seen those? <laughs> no. They also make your water pressure on the really head? good. Huh? Oh, okay, great. Like a low flow. It like head. it's like a sh- yeah. You can interchange it, and it has like a fil a filter in it, and so it filters wow. the water. Interesting. Cool. I mean, but, might need that just in general, especially because I do not know what on earth these pipes are made out of in this building. Let me tell you. I, and I don't have yeah. a good feeling about it. I can just give you that. New York, <laughs> I'm sure, isn't great. Like, they're just all such old buildings. But That's part I, of it, yeah. I feel like I have so many things to say, but I can't think of think of any of them. So let's just keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> God knows we're going to keep we're going to keep tangent tangenting. That's our oh. new word. And I. Just to yep. close it off, the reason why um, I, I like the verb tangenting, but the reason <laughs> why I, I brought it back to New York and, and the sewers is just to to highlight in Hawaii, the legislation there is just to highlight that that's also a source of, of dead zones or of these anoxic zones where there's less oxygen because, you know, the pipes are always in the same place. That's where the nutrients are coming. So that's also where legislation can come in to protect and prevent that and to focus. It, it often comes back to infrastructure. Like you were saying, yeah. it's systemic. If we have the right infrastructure in place, then we could prevent a lot of these issues. And if we also, um, one of our advisors highlights this, which I think is really helpful, thinking about addressing environmental issues and climate change from a civil perspective. So we need to get civil workers, the people who run this infrastructure, who build it, who design mm. it, who manage and maintain it, to take this on as their initiative. Because fundamentally, if we're talking about drinking water, stormwater management, 
wastewater management, waste management. This is all infrastructural and part of, you know, civil responsibility. And, and they are the heroes in this. They are the heroes in our climate story. They are the ones who can help us better design and maintain that system, especially in urban areas. And so really thinking about it more from that lens. And there's not as much conversation in that sphere, educationally, training wise, to, to take that on as well. Mm-hmm. I also have something. It's not. It's. It's kind of unrelated, (laughs) but it's just a theory I have. And I think it just honestly kind of ties back into the idea of like dead zones and all, but also how like the ocean can regenerate itself. And I am curious, I don't know if you know much about this or I'm curious if there's even research being done, but during COVID and during like the big Um, lockdowns, I feel like mm. we saw so much life be regenerated. I was with my parents at the time and it was the craziest thing. Like I would walk. Mm-hmm. I would go on walks and all the sidewalks, like I would see like three snakes like on the sidewalk because they're just like <laughs> oh nobody's gosh. around. And like they like wildlife yeah. just like came back and like coyotes were crossing the Golden Gate Bridge. Like it was just like all this crazy. I don't know. Wow. And I'm just wondering, too, like I, I think I've seen stuff where because of just that like short period of us not doing anything and not driving mm. and like it really like nature kind of like took its course again for a little bit. I'm just it's it kind of like I feel like proved that. If we do implement some of these solutions, like life can really regenerate itself, but we have to do it and like before it's too late. And I think just like the idea of like dead zones and how like that stuff can be regenerated is so interesting. And I'm really interested to see like if studies, if they come out, but like just that small period where we were just humans were not there (laughs) and how like nature was like, whoo, breather. Here we go. Totally. Let me just regenerate everything. That is so not where I thought you were taking that. I thought you were going like, with like COVID and testing the water for like different strains of COVID. That is totally, I was like, ah, coyotes? Like, oh no. Coyotes, coyotes cross- crossing the Golden Gate Bridge, snakes on the sidewalks. Not on planes. Craziness. Very, yeah. very key clarification. That's great. Slash I also was thinking yeah. of like sewers and just like the movie It. So I just need everyone else to have PTSD and be horrified with me as well. Because yeah, that is any when- <laughs> storm drains and like sewers. Yeah, totally think of Pennywise 100%. It's fine. Um, but wait, okay. But wait, yeah. yeah, last question. We This might have to be a two-part episode. <laughs> We've got diving into these, all these tangents. We haven't even gotten to our top topics. But last stupid question, what is a carbon sink and how does that play into all of this conversation too? Yeah, absolutely. And love, love your note on regeneration. That definitely was, is a shared, a shared story. And I think a good reminder too. For So as we rush back into coming back from, from this, this pandemic lull, like how, how do we keep that with us? And I know, for example, with UN World Oceans Day that I mentioned at the beginning, um, that's going to be hybrid. So a lot of it will be virtual. And we were speaking with some speakers today who said they'd rather not fly in to speak and they'd rather be tuning mm-hmm. in virtually and do a pre-recorded statement to re- yeah. keep their carbon footprint as low as it has been over these past two year period. So just to highlight that, I think we're changing the way that we operate and um, the so way true. that we convene. Yeah. Like um, people aren't need... working, are working from home. You don't commute anymore. There's less traffic, less, yeah. Like yeah. traveling, all the things. Crazy. Totally. It'd be interesting to see just what the effects are there. That's actually like a really yeah. good lobbying point. Like, you know how there are all these massive corporations that are trying to get their employees back in the office and everyone's like, absolutely not. Right. Okay. Not really an issue for us because we <laughs> always work remotely. But like, I know like if I were not in that case, like I hated working in office, like absolutely no, thank you. I feel like that is just such a good point or almost like social impact thing that people, that major yeah. companies could be using of like, 
you know what? Like we're not going back to the office or we shouldn't be going back to the office full time because we'd be increasing or revamping. Our carbon footprint yeah. or whatever, yeah. Yeah, just, that's yeah. interesting. Just some food for And them. those massive office buildings have a huge totally. footprint themselves. Yes. As well. And they're cold. That and they're transition ugly. To like... And no one likes being in a goddamn cubicle. And I don't know who invented <laughs> yeah. them, but I will find them. No, I'm kidding. Or like no one likes <laughs> to sit in their car in traffic for an hour right. like, each way to work. Just also like how much of your life does that waste? You know? So yeah. much. Oh my God. I can't. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Sorry. What is a carbon sink? <laughs> so jumping back to carbon sink, <laughs> I think it's for those who, who can only hear my voice right now, but I, I've got an ocean background. So yes. um, you can see the crest of the wave and then and then the, the, the blue of the ocean. And so a carbon sink is, is if we think about the place that term came from is thinking about a carbon cycle. There are sources and there are sinks. So a source would be the traffic and the greenhouse gas emissions from all the cars lined up on the highway, as an example, a sink would be, where is that carbon resting? Where is that then going back into? And we were talking earlier about the cycles and timelines of things. So right now we're reaching deep into the earth, pulling up fossil fuels, which are honestly organic matter ecosystems and, and organisms who lived their lives a long time ago, who have been all compressed and, and and stores of carbon, we're bringing that up and burning that and turning that into gas that's in the air. And so we're completely messing up that scale and cycle of, of carbon being released from natural sources like wetlands and volcanic activity and permafrost that's you know melting and defrosting. There are natural sources of carbon and emissions. Methane from cows went at a reasonable scale as, as we may be familiar. And then that carbon gets sucked into plants through photosynthesis, right? That goes back mm -hmm. into trees and plants. And so old growth forests, like I'm so jealous, Maddie, your neighbors of the redwood trees over there in San Francisco, yeah. um, those are examples of a carbon sink, those old trees where they're sucking it in and then they're holding it they're keeping it for us and they're storing it there and then as those trees pass and and break down and, and to become this rich soil and mulch that that is also a carbon sink that rich soil that is yes. truly filled with carbon and holding that in in the ocean we see carbon sinks the ocean itself first of all yeah. is a carbon sink the ocean is taking carbon in um it, it goes through so many mini cycles here in the ocean, but turns into the the shells in in those um, in those plankton we talked about originally. They've got calcium carbonate shells, so they're bringing the carbon in to, to become that. Carbon is calcium carbonate is also limestone, which is the basis of a coral reef. Carbon is also sucked into ocean marine uh, plants, so seagrass, where the the network of roots is almost five x below the the sand how how tall this the seagrass is itself and so those mm -hmm. network of roots stay down there even as the seagrass is grazed or or even yeah. as the as it dies that those roots themselves are that carbon sink mangroves similarly you know they've got their beautiful tube like um root systems and structures and those themselves are interconnected and woven together as a sink salt marsh and and other wetlands mangroves are part of are a form of wetland are also a carbon sink fundamentally too. And so that's just holding that holding that bank um, in there. So the ocean is a very effective carbon sink. As mentioned, it covers 70% of, of our surface. And uh, in addition to all the organisms and smaller cycles, yeah, the, the body of water itself is holding is holding carbon and more importantly, holding heat. The ocean is absorbing 90% of anthropogenic heat or heat that's been created from human caused climate change. And, and so a lot of that is, is being sucked into the ocean because for those that have been, have gone swimming, especially for those who are divers in different ways, the ocean 
it converts temperature 20 times faster than on land. So you get cold pretty quick when you're diving, even if the water is 80 degrees. Mm -hmm. um, after a while, you're like, you're shivering, your lips are turning blue. At least for me, that happens very quickly. <laughs> I wear a seven mil wetsuit in the tropics, but oh, wow. um I know, but but that but that's that's how that works, and so that's one of the the main reasons that the ocean is both a, a heat sink and a carbon sink. So the way that term is being used as a sink to to hold that down. Okay, got it. Interesting on so many levels. And one thing that you said that I want to circle back to because I saw a guide mm -hmm. on your website about this, and it was about mangroves. Oh, great. And yeah, I'm curious, like, what exactly is a mangrove? Like, where? That, oh my god the way i'm saying it makes it sound like i'm like being like oh my god where are all the men like is there a grove of men somewhere okay anyways <laughs> of course that's where your mind goes Last oh my god tell me you, you know i've never thought that and that, that's great jail time <laughs> absolutely like see you in court it's fine tell me you're a huge flirt without telling me you're a huge flirt anyways moving back to mangroves and their actual definition mangroves uh, i'm never gonna live that down never but never like this where can you find them is this like a type of thing where it's like only like a southern tropical solution or environmental thing or is this can be the northern like you find it in maine like what's the deal with that yeah, they, it is a tropical thing. And so, but there are mangroves right near Miami. There's mangroves in Florida for, for crowd and community here. And um, there are mangroves certainly throughout the Caribbean. There's mang there's mangroves throughout the, the tropical belt. Every space and ecosystem is slightly different. I was actually just in Mexico where there were some fully terrestrial, there were versions, species of terrestrial mangroves. So looks a little different, but they were fully on the sand and they still had a similar root light structure, but it wasn't as much of what you might see. If you saw that mangrove guide, I think the visual can explain so much better th than I can is these straw-like roots that are, that are designed to survive in salt water, which is so rare and, and beautiful. And mangroves are really critical. We, we've spoken about their role as a carbon sink. They're also really critical as habitat. They, they're the main habitat for so many species of bird, of especially juvenile fish, so baby fish. You know, they can hide in between their roots and, and hide from predators. That said, sharks also do love to hang out in mangroves for that reason too sometimes. Yeah. Little fishies. <laughs> I love sharkies. <laughs> they can coexist, you know. So, so it's it's really important. It's really important habitat. Actually, total very short tangent. Side note: There's a term in marine ecology called rugosity. R U G O S I T Y rugosity, okay. which is the complexity of the topography of the the, the ocean floor. Mm. And so for we measure this for coral reefs. You literally just like you know kind of place a string over it, and you see how for just like one foot, you know, of, of space, how, how much complexity is there? Yeah. And the more complexity, the greater species richness, the greater, the greater abundance of life because more life can stack and live. It's like ocean cities, if you will, you know, we can, we can fit more people, more community, more friends together in that way. And so mangroves offer a lot of that complexity of, of space to, to hide and, and to, to hold. Also they prevent erosion of the land because they're really kind of locking in the shoreline, preventing and protecting against natural disasters and sea level rise and storm surges that are coming in too. So that protects the, the human societies and civilization there too. So there are a lot of economic benefits. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I do know that there, there are increasing number of studies actually just trying to place of value, a monetary value on ecosystems. Blue carbon is the term we use for ocean carbon sinks. And so there are more studies on this and, and it is quite shocking when considering that 
erosion, community coastline protection aspect, how significant and how valuable our mangroves are. And they are the least sexy kind of, of ecosystems because salt marsh, mangrove wetland, they're the first to get grown over. I mean, they're, they're kind of they do smell bad. There's a lot of sulfur. There's a lot of, you know, off-gassing from, from the kind of ecosystem that lives there. And so that's often the first, and it's coastal. So that's usually, you know, cut down to create development over. And here in New York, we do have a little bit of wetland as we drive over to Jersey, but you can you can believe that a lot of that did get built over. Lots of bodies mm-hmm. in that one too, so. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, I'm well, from Jersey. I had to. I had to. It's a thing. <laughs> oh, my God. But- well, let's get into... Really just like all of this in time talking about climate change, we, you know, obviously have touched on a lot of stuff here, but let's kind of get into like really ocean pollution, what that looks like, like the many forms I'm sure it takes and how that is contributing to the climate crisis. Let's let's start there. Absolutely. I think that's really I think that's really critical to to thread those that those lines together. So plastics are created from fossil fuels. Everything is interconnected and and interwoven there. Plastics themselves do off-gas carbon emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, primarily methane as they're breaking down in landfills. And so they they are definitely related as even if that plastic is um, breaking down, uh, breaking up into those microplastics, as we discussed in the ocean, that's off-gassing, that's off-gassing methane as well. So, so in our movement and coalition building and in, from a policy perspective as well, a lot of the work that that our our peers and community have been doing is to tell a shared story around from from the beginning to the end of that life cycle, from the point of extraction of oil and gas through processing in petrochemical facilities to become plastic, and now it's one in eight, roughly one in eight barrels of oil becoming plastic. That number is going to increase as oil and gas companies are changing their strategies and tactics as we are shifting to a renewable future and we are shifting to a more electric future. And that's happening now. And we're seeing that because Mm -hmm. it is becoming more cost effective. So these companies are trying to figure out how to stay active, how to stay relevant. And they're pouring that investment into, into plastic. So they're looking for new ways to convince us that we need plastic for different applications. As we spoke about at the beginning of this session, single-use plastic is a specific definition, there are there are reasons we do need plastic, that we're still using plastic in automobiles and building materials where it, it's difficult to envision their, their full replacement in the near term. And there are so many ways we are creating and inventing more use cases for plastic as fillers, as things we don't need, and just based on that disposable mindset too. So so that is that's also how that connects right from the outset is in the, even in their their strategy of, of development and wanting to create more plastic there. So after the petrochemical facilities, and at every stage along this journey, by the way, there are serious environmental justice concerns in how these materials are being mm-hmm. sourced, how it's being processed, polluting the air, polluting the water. There's a lot that's going on right now to fight against the creation of new petrochemical facilities here in the U.S. In Louisiana, there's a large fight against the, the Formosa plastic plant there in an area that has been termed Cancer Alley for the number of oh health gosh, concerns Jesus. that are directly disproportionately impacting low-income communities mm-hmm. of color as is a is sadly a familiar story so yeah. this is how the threads the threads do connect and then from there of course we're seeing the plastic products in our own lives that's where behavior change comes in that's where we get to hold businesses accountable that's where we can ask brands to redesign their packaging ask businesses to stop buying and selling plastic and then it comes down to the waste management infrastructure where 
if we don't handle it properly, it is ending up in the ocean, the final sink of all things. Um, all water leads to the ocean eventually. So if you're littering in Chicago, it's going to end up in the ocean. You know, it doesn't matter if you're in a coastal region or not. And so that's how fun, how truthfully all things do ultimately mm-hmm. ultimately connect there in, the, in that final resting place. And then that relates, as mentioned, to to climate change, both from the emissions perspective as well. Yeah, as well as in the or- the shared origins of, of shifting away from the fossil fuel industry. It mm-hmm. all comes together, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Well. This has been amazing and we definitely want to have you back on to talk about the environmental justice angle and really get into the, I was about to say the mangroves. What is wrong with me? (laughs) She loves the mangroves. I know you're excited. (laughs) She's going to use that implement it into her life and manifest mangroves into her life. It's fine. Yep. That's going to be my new thing. But nonetheless, we are so, so excited to have had you on and can't wait to have you back. But in the meantime, Can you give our listeners where they can find you, where they can find Oceanic Global so they can get, you know, up to speed and all of that jazz? Yeah, absolutely. So Oceanic Global is www.oceanic.global. Our handles are also at oceanic.global for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. There's no dot, so it's just Oceanic Global. And I am Cassia Patel on LinkedIn. Um, so C-A-S-S-I-A-P-A-T-E-L. And yeah, there's there's ways to reach out from our websites as well as via LinkedIn. So hope to hear from you. And thanks again for having me on for such a great conversation. Of course, thank you. We always preface these talks with like, Oh, we're going to go on tangents like this one. We really did. So thank you for sticking with us through all of it. And definitely go check out Oceanic Global and get some action items too. You guys have some ways to get involved as well. But thank you so much for for all of this. Top stories of the week. The story everybody, everybody has been talking about. Elon Musk has reached a deal to buy Twitter for... Drumroll, please. $44 billion. Holy shit. So basically, Elon Musk is buying Twitter for $44 billion and taking the company private, which is stirring alarm among Democrats who are worried former President Trump will return to his one-time favorite social media platform to spread disinformation. I don't like calling him Musk. (laughs) Elon. Elon has complained that Twitter's moderators have gone too far in regulating speech on the platform, which he calls the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. They're giving, he's giving Twitter way too much credit. Like what? Uh, yeah. What? This isn't like, I can't. It's like some philosophy like platform. It's Twitter. So Elon, who is obviously the CEO of Tesla and the world's richest person, the world's richest, Um, said in a statement that he wants to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, such as defeating spam bots, authenticating all humans. This actually, I just want to pause for this moment. I don't think this is an original thought by Elon, but I heard it in a a, a podcast that Mark Cuban also has said similar things where it's like on social media, like everyone should have like a blue check mark. Like you should everyone should be verified so that you can't just hide behind like some random like bot account or like some troll account like if you want to go talk shit or like spew some hate or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to do like that's verified like you're verified and that's you saying that and everyone's looking at your name saying that so I I do like that side of it it's like everyone should be authenticated and verified on social media so that you know there is some accountability there but this news is like 
specifically, I think, rattling Democrats who fear there will be fewer restrictions on disinformation, which former President Obama warned about at a speech this month at Stanford. So interesting stuff. Uh, yeah. And Elizabeth Warren said Musk. It's so funny. It's so funny calling him Musk. I just want to make a side note that like it is and maybe this has happened. I just really I don't know about it. But how has he not come out like any other celebrity? Drop his name. Perfume line. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he totally should. You are not an entrepreneur if you don't have a fucking perfume line with this last name. Are you joking? <laughs> like, he's thinking, oh, let's go for Tesla. Get the go- musk like, of the richest man on Earth. SpaceX. Great. Yeah. I. Oh, Wait, ooh. also, I'm just like, mm. I think at this point he should Why just drop like his last key? name. Like, he should just pull a Beyonce and be like, no, just, like, call me Elon. Elon. Yeah, like, you know? Or, like, Elon Musk, but, like, Musk on its own, it's not, it just doesn't seem right. Yeah, because I think he, I think he's a two-namer. Like, one of those ones where it's, like, you have to say the He's a two-namer or he's just Elon. Either way, he needs a perfume line. 100%. I won't buy it, but just for the sake of, like, good marketing. 100%. Like. Come on. Do we need a perfume line? (laughs) Add it, add it to the idea factor immediately. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of like three people buying like yeah. girl on the go the podcast limited edition of hey i don't think any podcast has made a perfume line so nobody come for our idea yeah now now that you say that i'm definitely adding it to <laughs> i can't even say it can't we're say gonna it. start the patent <laughs> we're gonna start patenting that today <laughs> but so, what did what did okay, sweet elizabeth warren Lord. say she said, Musk purchasing Twitter is dangerous for a democracy. It is a reminder why we need a wealth tax and why we need some serious regulation for big tech. One billionaire should not be able to own, whoa, Samantha. One billionaire <laughs> should not be able to turn the world upside down just because he plays by a different set of rules. It's just like, it, it's just the whole thing. Just I have sound effects in like 10 directions. Mm. You know what I mean? But conservatives on Monday applauded musk's moves i I mean this whole thing is inherently political because i feel like this is just like a monopoly scenario it's a regulation scenario Mm -hmm. it's which is the same cross-section so i don't even know why i'm trying to divide those into two different things lord have mercy but anyways from the republican side of things aka rep mark walker a conservative republican running for senate tweeted on monday after he tweeted see see how he kept it in the family there (laughs) Elon Musk did his part for free speech today. Let's hope the Supreme Court does as well. What? <laughs> Say what? I'm, okay, I just, I think this whole thing pulls me in like 5 million freaking directions. Same. Because I honestly don't disagree with Republicans on free speech a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Me too. But then at the same time, like a label of disinformation, if it's really certain, past a certain point, I don't necessarily disagree with that because we've seen the results of when like that doesn't, get flagged but like at the same time like i really do understand like if we are actually protecting free speech as a thing as a part of the constitution yeah regulating that i I really do kind of have a problem with that so and i'm sure someone some of our liberal followers are gonna fucking cover me of me saying that but like i i I don't know i i really struggle with that but i think overall i also really struggle like this is he's not the only example of a billionaire buying a media company and causing some type of potential bias yeah. issue. Yeah, I bet, you I know, obviously I think this, this news story is big. I'm on the same page as you as like free speech is such a delicate topic. 
And I think especially in the past few years, we've seen how it can be abused, though. So it's like, you know, these people in power, especially a sitting president, like spewing misinformation about a global pandemic, about an election that ultimately resulted in a very deadly insurrection on our capital. You know, there's been so many and just like the misinformation and just the different set of facts that people have become you know, accustomed to has only, you know, created more divisiveness through the country. Like, I think there's just this weird line of like, yeah, you should be able to say whatever you want. But when it starts to create these really divisive and like dangerous moments in history, like I, it's it's really problematic. So I don't really know what the solution is. But, you know, this is just an interesting extension of that yeah. conversation. But it's also just such a power grab like it's just a billionaire being like i have all the money to do whatever the fuck i want and hey i feel like buying twitter today so i'm gonna do it and i still have hundreds of billions like left over so who fucking cares we'll see we'll just see what happens i yeah i we don't use twitter so so you know we're out here just (laughs) we don't even have to go off of it because we're not even on it we're just out here you know watching y'all tweet and stuff we're not we're not tweeting but let us know what you guys think I, I this is just such an interesting topic and like the conversation of free speech and the arguments there i think i think there's a lot of valid arguments on both sides so we'll we'll see what happens but next next story we'll keep you updated <laughs> she's wearing the she's wearing the sweatshirt you guys go get it linked in the episode description leda okay supreme court revisits prayer in school and football coach case The Supreme Court will hear arguments in a high-profile case involving high school football coach who's reprimanded for post-game prayers on the football field's 50-yard line. The dispute has drawn dozens of briefs from interest groups on both sides with religious liberty advocates urging the 6-3 conservative majority court to advance their cause, while backers of the school have asked the justices to lay down a marker on church-state separation. One unusual twist that makes the case's stakes difficult to gauge is that coach Joseph Kennedy and the Seattle Area School District have offered sharply contrasting accounts of what transpired. Depending on which facts the court finds most persuasive, the case could be dispatched quietly, or it could mark a watershed in First Amendment law. Monday will pit Kennedy, a devout Christian, against Bremerton, Washington School District, where he worked before his contract expired. During 2008, Kennedy began kneeling on the football field after games, conducting a brief prayer. Eventually, many of his players joined him, as did members of opposing teams. This continued without formal complaint until 2015, when the school told Kennedy to stop. Administrators said Kennedy's conduct violated school policy that prohibited staff from encouraging students to engage in prayer or their devotional activity. The record also shows that one player, an atheist, feared that not joining Kennedy's midfield prayer would negatively impact his playing time. The school district also had supporters rallying around it, including the ACLU, which has urged the justices to affirm the Ninth Circuit's ruling. In an amicus brief, the ACLU told the court that speech by on-duty school officials at a school-sponsored event, such as a high school football game, bears the strong imprint of the school. <laughs> the, we are not a law podcast. We are not a law podcast. <laughs> Anyways, good thing I didn't go to law school. The group wrote, public schools must welcome students of all religions, those of none. That obligation is compromised when school officials take it upon themselves to convey, whether intentionally or not, religious messages. The group added public schools thus have a constitutional duty to prevent their personnel from engaging in behavior that will place the school's imprint 
I'm definitely saying that wrong. I'm so sorry, guys. On religious doctrine or activity. Hmm. So the school district may be in for a tough fight, given that the conservative-dominated Supreme Court in recent years has tended to be highly sympathetic to religious interests. And the case Kennedy versus Brim- Bremerton School District will be argued Monday with a decision expected by the summer. Thoughts? Thoughts on this? I think it's an interesting one, to say the to say the least. Yeah. I, what are your thoughts? You know, it's tricky, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to articulate this the right way. Is like. And I'm not religious at all whatsoever. I mean, guys, if you had witnessed me and Maddie try and understand the difference between Good Friday and Easter <laughs> and see how little we didn't realize which one was which, I mean, it would probably scare most of America. But yeah. regardless of that, especially a coach to student, you know, the player relationship, like I feel like that's religion being like put on someone mm-hmm. or that there is like that with this atheist student particularly saying like, I feel like it's going to compromise or it's going to like backfire my playing right, time. Yeah. Totally. That said, I think that schools should be able to provide like areas in which like a student can perform like their religious devotionals. Like I, I trying to think of like a religion that has like something that happens during the day. Like if it's like a prayer time or something yeah. like that, like I understand, like I think like a public school should be able to provide like the right resources in order to make, that happen yeah i think if it's like a public school you shouldn't have to like make anyone feel like they have to participate in any type of religious practice that they don't agree with and especially if it feels if they this person feels like it will backfire on them and their playing time and you know potentially opportunities that come from the sport this playing football and you know what whatever they want to do in the future with that be it getting trying to get a scholarship or whatever and if that can actually mess that up for somebody because they're not participating in this religious moment that the coach is putting on then yeah i don't think that's okay because it's like it's a power dynamic that's the problem it's like it's yeah it is that and the yeah also just we are just a first amendment podcast today with both these stories (laughs) we're really diving into the constitution um, and their bill of rights you guys look at us speaking of which look at us look at us us. go listen to our episode with ben sheehan it's all about the constitution also his book is freaking amazing super easy to read get the foreign one on the constitution it's like also one of those ones that's like very good to just like have on hand if you have a quick question and you don't want to like go into i don't know some old school yeah it's called omt wtf does the constitution even say and it's relatable as hell and you can actually learn about the constitution and have it make sense for once in your life so go check it out and go listen to our episode with him but next story mark meadows who we actually talked about a decent amount last week with jasmine he is in this this is about him this new story and basically mark meadows which was registered to vote in three states it was just so fucking funny that all these trumpers Mm. are like actually committing election fraud on their own and then you know spewed the big lie all over the place but here we are so mark meadows a former chief of staff president donald trump who was removed from north carolina voter rolls earlier this month is still a registered voter in two other states. And so Chris Whitmer, a spokesperson for for South Carolina Elections Commission, told the Associated Press the former Republican congressman and his wife registered as voters in the state in March 2022. That's when he became active, Whitmer said. 
noting that neither Meadows had yet cast a vote in the state. From our perspective, it just looks like a new, like any new South Carolina voter. And so South Carolina registration was first reported by the Washington Post, which noted that Meadows had been a registered voter simultaneously in three states, the Carolinas and Virginia. And so until North Carolina removed him from its roles earlier this month, Meadows remains registered Virginia voter. The paper reported and an email sent by the Associated Press to the Virginia Department of Elections was not immediately returned Friday. Oh, man. Classic. Both the Carolinas and Virginia. Look at you, Mark Meadows. Just... I, I, I have... Just so many thoughts, but also like none at all. You know what? You know what I mean? <laughs> Have you been there? Yeah. No. I like. I, I know what it is. I, I feel like I have this weird thing where, when criminals are dumb, yeah, I almost want to critique their criminality. Yeah. But it's also just like, can you imagine a state being like, you are no longer allowed to vote here, sir? <laughs> like, can you imagine that happening to you? They're like, you're actually being removed as a registered voter from the state. I think you just unlocked a new fear for me. <laughs> tax fraud and voter fraud yep yep it's wow wow okay well nonetheless public records indicate meadows has been registered to vote in virginia and north carolina where he listed a mobile home that he never owned and may never have visited weeks before casting an absentee 2020 presidential election ballot in the state trump for whom meadows was serving as a chief of staff in washington at the time won the battleground state by just over one percentage point interesting classic last month north carolina attorney general josh stein's office asked the state bureau of investigation to investigate (laughs) a bureau of investigation investigating we love to see it anyways (laughs) love to see it (laughs) love to see them at their jobs about a year after he registered in north carolina Meadows registered to vote in Alexandria, Virginia, to speaks before Virginia's high-profile governor's election last fall. Records indicate. Fun fact: My mom almost uh, named me Alexandria. Okay. Just fun fact for the road. Anyways, fun facts aside, Meadows frequently raised the prospect of voter fraud before the 2020 presidential election. How funny! It's funny when you can hint at the things you're already doing yourself. As polls show, Trump trailing now President Joe Biden in the months after Trump's loss to suggest Biden's not the legitimate winner. You know, it's also just so interesting to me is I'm like, why are you committing like voter fraud to like be just like one vote in a state? Like, obviously, we're always preaching like everyone vote matters and it does. Totally. It does. Totally. But I'm like, you're really like committing crimes to vote in the Virginia governor's election. Like, really? Like, that just seems it just seems like not again, not the best use of your time or not the best use of your criminal like skills, you know? Like, if you're going to be a criminal, like, totally. like make some Better money. to commit fraud. Yeah, like get, like, get some money. Like, do something that's, like, actually going to do something. But probably I mean, shouldn't, like, like promote yeah. crime. Yeah. But, like, you know what I mean. It's more, yeah. It's just. It just seems like I an thought, unnecessary. Wasn't there, wasn't there a show that was, like, watching stupid criminals or something like yeah. that? But I'm also, like, you're you work in politics, like. There's probably, you, know how, you know how it works and you also probably have so many like ways that you can manipulate the system like almost from within. Like why are you registering in multiple states? Like I just don't get it. I don't get the like yeah. thought process there. Like what are you really like trying to achieve? Are you think are you winning these all of these elections? Like you alone? I mean if his his ego is that big that he thinks he can literally be like. 
And it's so funny, mm-hmm. too, because, like, after talking about the big lie in just 2020, and I'm like, people aren't just, like, pretending to be dead people to go vote, you know? Like, like how, like, that was always our argument. And, like, but there's actually dumbasses like Mark Meadows who, like, registers multiple times in different states. It just doesn't make sense. But classic. I also saw a story hmm. about Trump. Didn't he get, like... Oh, he was technically held in contempt. Yeah, he's held in contempt. What a nice little ten k a day fee for not handing stuff over by the deadline. He already had an extension. It's a little extension. Why are they just gonna put him in a fucking jumpsuit? That's what I don't understand. I'm wearing a jumpsuit right now. Get a girl, an orange jumpsuit. Yeah, but that those are our top you know stories. Know how I feel about me in orange. Yeah, I know. Those are our top stories. That is our episode. Happy belated Earth Day. And go get your merch. Go get your four bottles of wine for $29.95. Go sign up for our brand ambassador program. Go check out our internship. Go sign up for Break the Love. Look at all those housekeeping items. Just got them. Wow. But most of that is all. Yeah, all of that's pretty much linked in our episode description. So go check it out. And follow us on social media. Um, mm. You can go. Oh, I have. Oh. I have a specific ask. Oh, geez. Here we go. Wow. I, you know, just knocked this right into my. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Court. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, now what I'm, sport I'm so am I curious. So let's hear it. Okay. One, share our TikToks. Please. Share them. Don't just Louise. watch them. Don't just like them. Mm-hmm. Share them share them helps get that engagement up which really helps us helps us grow and all that good stuff also on ig save those posts for later share them with a friend hit them with a like honestly that's sometimes like the best way you can help support us is by engaging with our content on ig and tiktok the other thing that's so important about that too is like political impact the you sharing Girl on the Gov, either, you know, our TikToks or our episodes and helping other people find us and continue to learn about politics and potentially get engaged and become civically active, like, you're doing an amazing thing. You're having political impact when you do that. So share the podcast, share our social media, share our content, and keep the political learning going amongst your friends and your circles. And... You know, we'll all have some impact together in this very crucial election year. So there it is. But that is it for this week. Have a lovely rest of your week, weekend, and we'll be talking to you all next Wednesday. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.